Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday (laughs) y'all it is one week one week when the band you just heard journey will be at the mississippi coast coliseum i'm looking so forward to that I'm still looking out for tickets in row one. I'm in two. Dang. Got to get one. Uh, man, I'm looking forward to that. That will be the first stop on the 2024 Freedom Tour for the boys. Looking forward to it. Appreciate Dave Hughes filling in yesterday. I was pleased to visit with and uh, offer some remarks to the Madison Ridgeland Rotary Club, not far from our location here. whole lot of stuff going on. Let's start with the, uh, we got to start with the weather, right? Because what happened to old Punxsutawney Phil? Apparently, according to the groundhog, we're going to have an early spring. That is correct. Came out. No shadow. No shadow. Of course, that typically causes... Phil to scamper back to the hole when he sees his shadow, right? And that means, uh-oh, more winter Holds on the way. For another six weeks of winter. That's right. Uh, but the uh, the ceremonies held this morning, of course, in the Pennsylvania. And so it looks like maybe we're set for a little spring. It is beautiful out, day, uh, out there today. A high of 74 here in central Mississippi, latest I saw. Man, oh, man. That is a little bit spring-like, is it not? We got pleasant Caleb. weather for a Friday. It is. We got Caleb Sailors, a multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News, on the program today to give us a rundown of all the news the department here at Super Talk has been covering and is focused on next week. The legislature in session, a whole bunch going on now. They are they are down to business. Well, kind of. Well, I don't know. A couple of big bills we'll get to here in well, a minute. I mean, more specifically, right now. Okay, right. Exactly. As, as is usual, especially at this point in the session, I log on Twitter for the show. Yeah. I see the Mississippi House of Representatives tweet out that the House is in session. <laughs> and then about 10 minutes later, 
The House is adjourned. <laughs> They'll be back on Monday at 4. I have been to uh, a uh, an observer in the gallery. There's a North Gallery, South Gallery, looking down upon uh, the chambers there. And I've been an observer in the House a couple of times. And you're exactly right. The prayer lasts longer than the business does. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's a good thing, honestly, we could argue. So, uh, but I did witness the debate, I guess you could call it that. Yesterday, I headed down to the Capitol after my speaking engagement to watch the House pass an online sports betting bill. That is That has been passed by the House. 97 to 14, and this would, of course, allow online sports gambling and would require, however, the companies who offer these services and host and operate those platforms, they would have to contract with one of the physical, as they say, brick-and-mortar gaming establishments in the state, a casino. Only people located in Mississippi would be able to participate on these platforms, can can access them. It's geofenced within the state's boundaries, if you will. Geofenced simply means that the tool knows where you are based on that phone you're using to place your bet uh, using GPS technology. And if you're not within the boundaries of the state, it don't work. That's how it is now. Now, we presently have... Sports betting in Mississippi, geofenced to a casino property. As long as you're on the property there, the tool works. Uh, this extends that to make online gaming, sports betting specifically, available throughout the state. However, the, those companies who host those and operate those platforms have to do so through a casino. Um Minority leader in the House, Robert Johnson from Natchez, he's been on the program before, Democrat. He stood uh, not in opposition of the bill. He made it very clear before he spoke that he was going to support the bill. He was looking, Rhino, for an amendment that would essentially require. He didn't offer really any details on on how this would be uh, carried out how it would be implemented, but it would require that every casino within the state have a relationship with one of the online sports betting vendors so they could participate. And here's the reason, the rationale is, they could, you literally could have a situation where one online gaming vendor could contract with one casino and and offer that service throughout the state. Now, you would have to imagine that that would be somewhat limited. There are some 30 right now online gaming, sports betting vendors. A few years ago, it was one or two. Now there's 30. And I don't know if that's a static figure or not. We might have more in the future. We might have less. Nobody knows. But it's, it's a free market. Uh, and so what he was seeking was protection for the smaller casino operators, such as in his district, in Natchez. Um, I believe Washington County, Greenville. I think there's one up there. For example, concern is they might get left out that the online sports betting 
platforms may just seek to establish a business relationship with a handful or maybe even one. I don't see that happening, honestly. Um, one casino, because if you think the promotion and the marketing of those tools and those services, those capabilities, is going to come from the casinos. So they're all going to want a relationship. I can't imagine, honestly, letting the market do its work, that um, one or more of those platforms wouldn't have an interest in establishing a working relationship, a business transactional relationship, with every casino, because you know they're going to promote it. And typically, they're promoting in their space, if you will. So in their geographic region. And and I'm not sure that if one or more companies contracts with one casino, if that one casino would have an interest in promoting that statewide. I don't know. All I'm saying is, when I was hearing that, and I get it, he's trying to protect the smaller casinos, especially the one in his district, I just felt like, man, this is something for the market to sort out here. And you get into a situation where you start forcing this kind of contract stuff and the government gets involved, you're going to torpedo it somehow. You're going to mess it up, was my thoughts. Um, Also heard, so there's a carve-out, by the way. This was an amendment that was offered in response to some requests from members of the House. Representative Casey Yuri, by the way, is the sponsor of the bill, and he made the presentation of the legislation at the podium there. Uh, and there was an amendment offered which would carve out a piece of the revenue. It's not expected to generate a great deal of revenue for the state. $25 million bucks is what's estimated. And that's just a tax on the gaming revenue, just as the casinos presently pay a gaming tax on revenues they produce. And, and that gets shared, mostly goes to the general fund at the state level. The rest goes into the uh, the jurisdictions where the casino property is located that produce the, the revenue. I think last year, $275, 280000000 million is the figure that's kind of comes to mind, total gaming revenue. And again, there's some diversion to the local level. Well, where I'm going with this is there was an amendment that did pass that would carve out a small portion, if you will, of the total revenue produced to go to the state highway fund, roads and bridges. The thinking there being all counties, if you're with me, would benefit from this legislation. And that was something that members of the House wanted. And there was a member, uh, Rhino, that, that stood up and seemed to be in opposition of that. And I'll I'll share with you what... She said uh, about the revenues produced by the Mississippi Lottery Corporation that are earmarked for the state highway fund. She she misrepresented the figures, and I was up in the gallery looking at folks down on the floor saying, that's not true, it's not how it works. Coming right back in the Element Well studio, Caleb Sailors at 1120 and Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, Andy Gibson at 1205, talking about the Dixie Nationals. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. 
Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. Babe. I got you, babe. Maybe the most famous song produced by the husband and wife duo of Sonny and Cher. I remember the Sonny and Cher variety show back in the day. That probably was late 60s, early 70s, I think. She's kind of out there, though, isn't she? He never seemed like it. He, of course, tragically lost his life in a bizarre skiing accident years ago. Didn't he get into politics, too, at one point? A little bit. I don't I don't think he didn't win, but um, he wasn't as wacko as she is from a political perspective. That's for sure. So on the ceasefire tax line, Moe says, what's your take on the Hines County Election Commission not doing your job because someone will complain no matter what happens? Why have the commission? So I don't know if you guys have seen this. He's a congressman. I, okay. Was he elected? Okay, my yeah, bad. For one term. Okay. Two years. Well, maybe two terms. All right. It says four. Yeah. See the years there? Hey, what was that? Early 70s, maybe? No, that was 95 to oh, 98. I'm all, I'm all off. I just don't know that much about it. He was a representative from Mississippi's, or not Mississippi, <laughs> from California's 44th district. Okay. Uh, before I answer Moses' question, I, I don't really have a take. I just saw that this morning, Mose, by the way, so I... Um, I got to dig into it some more, but basically what they're saying is that they don't want to have anything to do the elections commission in Hines County with operating the primaries. That's what I saw. Uh, so a member of the House yesterday stood up, and uh, it seemed to be somewhat in opposition. I really couldn't tell to this carve out to the state highway fund from this uh, this mobile sports betting revenue that would uh, be raised by the state, a tax, if you will, gaming tax on the revenue produced by mobile sports betting, expected to be 25 to 35 million bucks a year. Um, and she stood up and said, uh, regarding the carve-out uh, for roads and bridges, I think it's 4%. I have to go look at that to verify, but I think the carve-out is 4%. This just goes straight. A diversion, if you will, is what it's uh, usually referred to as when you're talking about how revenue comes in and then gets allocated, public revenue. Um, and she said, well, the lottery's producing $1.5 million a day of revenue, and 80% of that's going to roads and bridges. Folks, that's not correct. And I'm sitting there in the audience, uh, audience in the gallery, shaking my head, saying, no, I'm, I'm wanting to say something. You know, but I'm way up there atop. <laughs> Nobody can see me, and I'm irrelevant, obviously. But um, just as a member of the lottery board and knowing a little bit about its finances and the law itself, the Clark Act, I'm thinking, no, that's just not right. You know, so first, that's revenue, $1.5 million of revenue. That is an accurate figure, relatively accurate. Total gross revenues on an annual basis come in at about $430, $450 million a year. But the law, the law requires that 80% of net Proceeds, pardon me, eighty million. Now she's got me saying it. The first eighty million, the first eighty million in a fiscal year of net proceeds produced. So the one point five million is gross revenue. The net proceeds 
is the amount that's left over once you pay the prizes out, once you pay the expenses of running the lottery. Everything left over is what's called net proceeds. In the private sector, we call that net profit, net operating income. The first $80 million produced of net proceeds in a year goes to the state highway fund. That is in accordance with the Clark Act, which established the Mississippi Lottery Corporation in 2018 in a special session. The excess over that $80 million in a year goes to the Education Enhancement Fund. It doesn't even go to the general fund. And I can't emphasize this enough. The legislature has no control over the net proceeds produced by the lottery, except in as much that they enacted the law in 2018 that prescribes those formulas and the way that money's allocated. So it's not like it goes into the general fund and every year the legislature appropriates money out of the general fund. Nope, that's not how this works. The lottery transfers its net proceeds to the state treasurer on a monthly basis in accordance with the law, and then the state treasurer distributes that in accordance with the law. Once they hit the, until they hit the the eighty million of net proceeds, that's all going to the state highway fund, a special separate fund that is not appropriated, controlled, or touched by the legislators. And the excess goes to the education enhancement fund, which is a law on the books. It's been on there for a long time, and it's got all kinds of formulas in it on how the money which is transferred and deposited into that fund gets distributed. There's a number of formulas. So much goes to here, so much goes to there, so much goes to the community colleges benefit, K-12 benefits. And it's, it's more geared for the early learning collaborative, uh, fixed assets, CapEx, schools, buildings, uh, stadiums and the like. And then some money that goes to, I don't remember all the various components of it. But in general, it's all established in that law. Well, she was confusing the 80%, stating 80% of revenue goes to roads and bridges, revenue produced by the Lottery Corporation, not what's the truth, which is the first $80 million of net proceeds, not percent, $80 million of net proceeds. Uh, since the lottery's been operating, that averages $120, $125 million a year. So essentially it's $80 million Maxes out to roads and bridges. The, the remainder, $40, $50 million, uh, goes to the Education Enhancement Fund. Now, the legislature could, of course, amend the lottery law like they can any law. There's not been one change to the Lottery Act since enacted in 2018. I don't know if the legislature is thinking about that. I really can't tell you. I've not heard a word to that effect. I've not seen any bills to that effect. But it's kind of amazing to me that we're approaching six years since it was enacted, and it hasn't been touched. And honestly, that's a good thing. I think the way it is now, you should know that after 10 years, that the uh, first $80 million then is transferred to the general fund after 10 years of operations of the lottery. Can that be changed? Absolutely. Uh, there's no question that the Department of Transportation, transportation commissioners in general, seek additional revenue for roads and bridges in the state. You probably know Mississippi has the second lowest fuel tax. That's where it gets its money, the fuel taxes 
and uh, and from federal government. Fuel taxes in Mississippi are the second lowest in the country, only second to the state of Alaska. Our neighboring states all have higher fuel taxes than the state of Mississippi does. I, I'm not here supporting or advocating for an increase in the fuel tax whatsoever. I'm just messaging here our model, how it works, and, and giving you an idea of where we stand with respect. And that's why typically, Rhino, whenever you see Gas Buddy and these other AAA, these other outfits that track the price of gas in the country, and they'll, they'll give you a national average, they'll also typically say, and by the way, the lowest gas is in X state. Almost inevitably, it's, it's, um, it's Mississippi. That's because of the tax. So, as an example, what's our tax here? Is it it's either fifteen or eighteen cents? Um, it's an excise tax, by the way. So it's a it's a an, a dollar amount per gallon. It's not a percent. It's a it's a per gallon. That's what yeah, it eighteen is. cents a gallon. Okay, I think Alaska's fifteen and change, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they also produce oil. That's right. Uh, but um, also, I think those two states, Mississippi and Alaska, are the two. That uh, Alaska is just under nine cents. A okay, gallon. I missed it then. But my apologies. Nine cents, half of Mississippi's. But contrast that to California. I know what that one is. Seventy-seven cents, which is why the gas prices in California are always one of the reasons considerably higher than they are in the rest. And of the isn't country. it going up? Yeah, they're talking about increasing that. So they never met a tax they didn't like. Uh, but I just want to just share with you that. Um, uh, that mistake, um, and, and I, I'm not trying to be critical of the legislator, and I don't even know who it is, honestly. I'm, I'm sorry to say. I, I'm not sure that I've ever interviewed her or interacted with her before. Um, but I, I'm just pointing out what the facts are. That's all. And I get it. It's It's complicated. But I will also say, you know, surely you can just eyeball that and reason through that, that 80% of a million and a half a year, I mean, a million and a half a day, a million and a half a day, and you can pretty easily extrapolate that out to be $450 million, roughly, a year. So you're saying you think there's $340 million going to the state highway fund from the lottery? No. So I, I was disappointed, I guess, that um, that was made as an argument against this carve-out because it was just not rooted in fact. That's all. Well, we're coming uh, right back in the Element Well studio. We got some, we got some text rolling in on the ceasefire text line. That's six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. We got some sound to play for you, and we also got some woke news today. <laughs> we're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. What is this, Sonny and Cher show or what? Rise and shine, campers, and don't forget your booties. It's a cold one out there. <laughs> I had to do the Groundhog Day joke. Okay. 
Uh, let's see. On the ceasefire text line, someone said the groundhog has about a 39% accuracy rate. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's it's not a winning bet. <laughs> well, dang. <laughs> I was looking forward to a little spring, and uh, we're about a month and a week away from daylight saving time returning as well. Days get a little longer. I look forward to that. We should also uh, note that there's been lots of financial news this week, uh, specifically some of the Magnificent Seven have released earnings reports, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and Meta. Have you been watching Meta? Meta, folks, that's, of course, the Facebook parent, absolutely blew it out. Largest quarter in their history. First ever dividend announcement. Now, I haven't looked at it uh, in about an hour, okay, but uh, earlier today, let's see if I can find it. Meta was uh, up 60, 70 bucks a share, $81 a share earlier. Let's see what it is uh, right now. 81 bucks, and this is on the heels of their big earnings announcement uh, last uh, yesterday last evening. Let's see here. Let me look at it real quick. Hang in there with me. Uh, up $82 a share. That is 20% in one day on a stock that's already trading at 477 bucks. Now, it's 4477 after rising $82 today. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. These were this was an earnings report released again yesterday. They um Announced a fifty cents per share dividend. Revenue was forty billion of twenty five percent increase, and their net income more than triple quarter to quarter at fourteen billion for the quarter. Fourteen billion. That is huge. Man, that's five thirty three a share, by the way. So man, hats off to them. That's incredible. Yet, uh, in the quarter, the fourth quarter of 22, which ended December 31, 2022, they produced $4.65 billion of net income. And in the fourth quarter of 23, $14 billion. <laughs> That's a pretty good pop, no doubt about it. Amazon. Of course, we've got to pay more attention to Amazon because they're about to make the largest investment in a single project in the history of the great state of Mississippi. That being announced last week. This was uh, the day, as a matter of fact, or the day after. A week ago, $10 billion of CapEx in Madison County to construct two hyperscale data center campuses. $10 billion. Well, they also announced their Q4 earnings yesterday, and they topped expectations. Of course, for the e-commerce business, fourth quarter is the largest historically because it's the holiday season, Christmas. Their stock jump, net income. Get this, Rhino. Net income for the quarter was ten billion. Follow me here. In twenty twenty two, for the entire year, it was twelve. So they made almost as much in Q four twenty twenty three as they did the entire year of twenty twenty two. Revenue was. A mind-boggling 170 billion. 
So you can extrapolate the run rate there. That's $680 billion of annual revenue. That'd be the most of any company in the country. I'm pretty sure it's the most of any company on the planet. And again, guess what drove uh, their profit? Amazon Web Services. So they're starting, they're turning the corner, they're starting to produce a profit in the e-commerce business. Historically, folks, it's lost money. All that stuff you buy online, they lose money at that. Last year, as a matter of fact, they lost $8 billion. They made 20 in Amazon Web Services on sales of about $81 billion. That's a tidy net income, net operating income percentage of 25%, roughly. So $20 billion net income from AWS, $8 billion loss in the e-commerce business unit. Net income overall, $12 billion. This year, however, they're making a little money in the e-commerce business. But Amazon Web Services, again, about to be a, a major part of the economy in the state of Mississippi, it grew substantially. Of course, uh, analysts were looking for a little bit more growth from AWS. Still, they grew, uh, I think, 13%. Yeah. Microsoft also announced earnings earlier in the week. Guess what's fueling their growth? Their Azure cloud services growing by 18%. So some analysts are noting that Microsoft's cloud business is growing at a faster rate than Amazon's. There's still, my gosh, any company out there that's doing $100 billion of sales in, in some line of business would die for double-digit growth year after year after year. That's what we've come to expect from these big tech names. We've seen all the growth. And what's fueling that? As you know, Rhino, artificial intelligence. How about NVIDIA? NVIDIA, NVIDIA, they're the guys that make the chips that are optimized for artificial intelligence software development and operation, execution of artificial intelligence applications. The stock presently trading at 657 bucks. I've seen two analysts in as many days predict, have a 52-week target, 900 bucks a share. 657 to 900. You got enough money to buy $657 a share stock? Wow. Think about a run of 250 bucks a share if you could dig into it. And, of course, the left will go nuts over this, right? Oh, the rich are getting richer and all that kind of crap. They'll go crazy. Speaking of which, there's uh, somebody out on social media, Twitter. We still call it Twitter here on Middays, don't we? Oh, yeah. Rhino has decreed that, refuses to accept Elon Musk's renaming of the platform. <laughs> That's That works for me. Says, uh, tags uh, Mr. Gallo and myself, as this person frequently does. I'm not going to name them because I don't want them to have any dang publicity. Is that okay with you? Fine with me. Okay. I'll just read what they said. Corporate welfare is egregious. Why should middle class pay more in taxes than billionaires and corporations? Corporations need to pay their fair share of taxes. You're wrong, 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 wrong. You have no idea what you're talking about. Why do people go to social media, go to the public, and make asinine statements like this without understanding the first thing about economics and, more specifically, taxes? Because they've convinced themselves they're right. They're wrong. 
Well, yeah. And you know what that sounds like? They're, who that sounds like they're parroting, of course? The guy in the White House. He runs around telling America the billionaires are only paying 8%. He's wrong. Well, there's a pretty good rule of thumb when it comes to online trolls and just idiots on social media in general. 99 times out of 100, they are not tweeting or posting an original thought. Because they very rarely have original thoughts. That's true. If they had original thoughts, they wouldn't derive the entire purpose for their miserable lives for getting invisible internet cool points from other idiots online. I, I get fired up. I know. And, I, and I'm raising my voice. And I apologize for that because I'm so sick of this misinformation around all this class warfare and taxes. And I get tagged on this. And this fool doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. And they're not going to take the time, of course, to educate themselves and, no. and plow through this mountain of data, which is all available, by the way, online. It's all public data. That's why I use the phrase willfully ignorant. Unbelievable. At no point in history have we had access to so much information with the ability to educate yourself on so many topics. So true. Yet people still choose to double down on being dumb. So true. And you know to what I attribute that? Laziness. Oh, it's yeah. a combination of laziness and just myopia. They they want to believe this stuff. They feel good about themselves by spewing this rhetoric, which is just wrong, just like the president. So if one takes a little time to research the official data as published by, I don't know, the Internal Revenue Service, which is part of the Department of Treasury, you can easily determine, if you're willing to do a little math exercise, that the top 1% in this country pay 42% of the total income taxes. And that their average tax rate, not the one the president says is 8%, which is based on unrealized gains. Their average effective tax rate, 26%. The top 1% pay more taxes in terms of the dollars they send to the government than the bottom 90. You're telling me that's fair? We have the most progressive tax system in the West. This is just wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And by the way, I want to tell you before we go to the break, I favor a zero income tax on corporations. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. The great Tom Petty. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Tom Petty tunes are played more here at Super Talk than any other artist. <laughs> Will loves it every time he's in. You know that. He plays oh, it a yeah. lot. Now, I haven't, I haven't uh, really thought about what Lance plays a lot, if he kind of continued uh, the old Perez lineup or not. So I'm not sure. But uh, Tom Petty, right? Gets played play a lot. And I'm fine with that, by the way. I'm just observing something. William and Brandon says, I'm going to jump in early with a question gripe. Why is it every time Governor Reeves tweets something positive that's happening 
in Mississippi, there's a pack of naysayers that immediately come in complaining. They love to be an albatross around the state's neck. It goes back to what I was saying. They derive meaning for their miserable existence, or their excuse for an existence, with being the biggest horse's hind end on the Internet they (laughs) possibly can, because that's the only way they can feel anymore. It's the only way they 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 get a sense of purpose in their sad little lives because they spend their entire life on the internet. They don't go out and do as the kids say nowadays and touch grass. They just sit on their computer or with their smartphone doing absolutely nothing of value for society or themselves and just troll <laughs> because they're pathetic. <laughs> Does it give them some sort of false sense of self-worth, you think, doing oh, that yeah. kind of stuff? Because, and to William's point, and you know this, it's the left and the right. We have, we have folks on the right in in this state. I can't tell you the, the amount of, of uh, just nonsense I've seen regarding these two big economic development projects that have been announced recently that we should be celebrating. I, and and I start looking at many of the people, not all, I'm generalizing here, that have come out with all sorts of uh, negative slants and, and negative commentary. And I, and I think to myself, I'm not sure I've ever seen them ever say anything positive. They mire in negativity. That, right? I mean, they live in pessimism. Everything's pes- pessimistic. I mean, the world's coming to an end tomorrow to a lot of these people. The way I look at it, it's kind of like that show on Netflix back during the pandemic, Tiger King. You can watch it for the entertainment value, but there's a there's an extra level you can watch it for. You can watch it to feel better about yourself because you're not that bad off. You're not that crazy. <laughs> I look at these trolls the same way on the Internet. I've, I've gotten to the point now where I almost pity them. I don't because they're, they're that much of a nuisance to yeah. society. Yep. So I don't pity them. But I do feel better about myself because at least I'm not them. <laughs> at least I'm not that dumb. At least I'm not that starved for attention. Well, I, I've heard, uh, like Thomas here, he's skeptical on whether or not Amazon's going to, you've seen this, going to truly employ a thousand people. And I, I just, and so I've heard that, everything from that to we're going to be in the dark to our electricity's going up to our property taxes are going You've seen it, haven't you? Oh, I yeah. mean, it's just a million. I can tell you this. There's a building not far from here, Rhino. It's the one has got Butler Snow on the top of it, right? In Regions. It's 13 stories, I believe. Not far. In Ridgeland. At the Renaissance Development. Well, that area, that land right there, it was just barren woods and grass with deer running around in it before that development came about. And I remember folks around, and I live not far from there, that were trying to stop that building. And there was, there was public hearings. They didn't want that building. And it was everything from the light's going to uh, corrupt the sky, poison the sky, the light, right? Light pollution. Yeah, yeah exa- that's what it's called. Thank you. Uh, from that to, oh, well, you know, in a few years, those companies that are going in that building, they're going to vacate it. It's just going to be an empty eyesore. I, the traffic's going to be unbearable. I, it was just a million things. And I was like one of the lone people in my neighborhood that not only supported it, I wrote an op-ed in favor of it. And I, I just couldn't believe all the negative, all the pessimism, all the dour predictions. Have any of those come true? 
None. I don't know how long it's been there. It's been a while. And, man, this is what you want. You you covet these kinds of developments because they're so good for the economy and for the community. None of that came to pass. All their worst fears. All fears. That's all they were. And, and uh, predictions that weren't rooted in fact. It's the same thing here. So I'll tell you this about Amazon. If they don't hire one person, we still win big time. When you look at the amount of revenue and the economic, the revenue, by the way, to the to the county, the districts, ultimately will benefit the whole state. In my opinion, it's massive. That's the first thing. Second, the outgrowth that's go, going to occur from this hasn't even been contemplated. Heck, just the construction workers that are going to be out there for three or four years are going to boost the economy, the local economy, tremendously. We're talking 2,000, 2,500 construction workers. I know people right now trying to figure out a place to house them for two or three years. That's in the works. All of that generates economic activity. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News on Middays. Coming right back, we got Caleb Sailors at 1120 and Commissioner Andy Gibson at 1205. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is Middays. We are in the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. <laughs> yes, we are. So just taking a look, I, I uh, talked about Amazon and, and Meta and their earnings reports. Uh, what about Apple? Oh, my gosh. They absolutely print money. And so they re- reported earnings as well yesterday uh, after the bell. The shares, however, fell. Now, again, remember, the stock market is a mechanism which discounts future cash flows, essentially. That's that's how price stock is determined by all the smart folks that make the markets there. So they beat estimates on, on revenue and earnings. They had a blowout. But they showed a 13% decline in China, a big market uh, for the iPhone maker. And... That made the investors nervous, and the dang stock well, went that, down. And they just launched their new, what is it, Apple Vision? 3600 bucks. Yeah, their VR headset that is, at a price point, I don't think Steve Jobs would have come out with. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Apple's not necessarily known for being cheap. Yeah. They're usually a premium or luxury item. Because they can. Right. But still, thirty six hundred bucks for a VR headset when you have other VR headsets on the market for a tenth of that price. I just i I don't see that doing as well as they hope. Might need need to do something else, right? I agree with you. Sales are actually okay. I wouldn't exactly call them off the charts, but the sales of the Apple Vision. But here's but that's to be expected for Apple. There's all you have a. A collection of early adopters that are Apple junkies that will buy everything Apple puts out first generation just so they have it. It's a cult. Let's be, I mean, it is. 
And hats off to Apple for creating a cult. I mean, what company wouldn't like to have those kinds of customers, that kind of loyalty? Sure. So, but they did, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, he did hint at something coming out from Apple AI-related. Here's what I think. I think you're going to have some sort of AI technology embedded in the iPhone that's going to require you to upgrade your iPhone. Right, and that I mean, is going it would to be kind uh, of be silly for them not to incorporate AI into Siri because there are so many Apple users that already true. are user users of Siri. True, I think we're going to see this unbelievable upgrade refresh cycle over the next couple of years because folks are going the cult's going to want to have that AI powered iPhone. So, did want to share with this with you though. With respect to their performance in the fourth quarter, revenue of 119 billion, 117 was expected. 119 billion, that's that's pretty good. So you can do the math there. That that puts them at about 480, and that's 30 billion or so up year over year. This is what's astonishing. This is what's just mind-boggling. Net income during the quarter, 33.9. Call it 34. 34 billion in the quarter. Now we just shared with you Amazon which in 2022 made 12 for the entire year. Apple made 33, 34 in one quarter. So if they continue on that trend, that's what 132 billion of net income on sales of 450 470 incomprehensible and you wonder why they're the most valuable company on the planet and it's like air we're addicted to it we all got to have it of course founder of apple co-founder steve jobs along with steve wozniak the woz mr jobs which wozniak might have the coolest business card in existence what's it say it's a thin piece of stamped metal that has his contact information on it yeah but the rest of the business card is uh breakout pieces that are a lock picking set <laughs> kind of like kind of like that? models like pl- plastic models come yeah. in those yeah, sheets yeah. of peep pieces yeah. that you take apart the trees they call yeah. them yeah the plastic it, trees it's yeah. a little stamped metal business card like that <laughs> with lock picking tools and his that contact cool. information uh that's so wise, like though. Oh yeah, isn't it? So uh, Steve Jobs, who famously said, "People don't know what they need until I tell them," is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Only he could say that, and it's not hubris on his part. It's not arrogance. It's the truth. Let's, let's just be honest. Uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, inventor in the history of the planet at this point. So uh, thirty-three now. I often like to make the comparison, Rhino, of Apple's net income to the health insurance industry. And it's not because I'm either uh, a, a detractor or a defender of the health insurance industry. I just find it to be an interesting contrast. So the top five health insurance carriers, which account for about 85% of the commercial coverage in the country, about $160, 170000000 million, uh, obtain their insurance from one of these five carriers. Apple makes more in six weeks. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Pardon me. Three months 
and uh, I, I did it as a as a month instead of a quarter. So uh, fourteen weeks, okay, three months and two weeks into the next quarter, they make more in fourteen weeks than the top five carriers make combined in a year. I can't even comprehend that. By the way, Exxon had a blowout year, a blowout year, and you're going to see. You know you're going to see the president go crazy on Exxon because of their blowout year. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest year they've had from a net operating income perspective in the history of the company. And I'm looking for the final number, but it it was under $40 billion for the year. Well, Apple made 33. In a quarter. Think about that. Why doesn't the president go on television and tar and denigrate and condemn and smear Apple? I guess because he's okay with iPhones. And look, I don't want him to. Let me be clear. But because he's so, and the Democrats, of course, are so anti-fossil fuels, any dime made by the fossil fuels industry, he he rejects that it's even legitimate or valid, and, of course, often points to them as the reason, their profit, right? That's why <laughs> That's why the, uh, the price of gas is so high. So, yeah, they made about $30 billion last year, $30 billion. Unbelievable. Uh, down 35%. This is something we talked about on the program. Where are you when they're losing money? or their net income's trending downward. You only reference them when they're having a significant positive performance. They made $36 billion in 2023. Apple made 33 and a quarter. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And by the way, that $36 billion is down from the prior year because the price of oil's down, which they don't control despite what the president tells you. And you've probably seen that now he's he's... He's targeting grocery stores. They're ripping people off the grocery stores. One of the least profitable industries in the entire nation. He says it's not his policies that are driving inflation. It's the grocery stores. They're ripping everybody off. Inflation is coming down, says President Joe Biden. It's now lower in America than any other major economy in the world. The cost of, of eggs, milk, chicken, gas, and so many other essential items have come down. But for all we've done to bring prices down, there's still too many corporations in America ripping people off. Price gouging, junk fees, greedflation, shrinkflation. So there you go, Thomas. You talk about socialism. That is socialism. Wanting to insert government into the pricing and the wages paid and the amount produced. That is socialism. That is classic dyed-in-the-wool central planning socialism. I find it abhorrent that an American president would tar any industry like that. He has no idea what the hell he's talking about. None. He doesn't know. This is the mark of a weak leader. Weak leaders never 
acknowledge or accept responsibility for anything. Strong leaders, on the other hand, they take their lumps and they often accept responsibility even if they're not the culprit. I'm buck stops with me. I'm the head person here. My fault. Man, would I ever love to see that out of these elected leaders. But then always, always, always follow up on that comment immediately with, here's our plan to correct it. Never get that out of this guy. It's always somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. Sick of it. Go look in the dang mirror. It's Caleb Sailors, a multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News. Next, stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. The great Stevie Wonder bumping us into this segment here on uh, Middays. We're coming at you live from the Element Well studio. We welcome uh, to the program now Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. You know, our news, Chiron, just it doesn't follow <laughs> up Stevie Wonder, right? Uh, but I do, Rhino, shout out to Rhino for just always giving us the good tunes to introduce us on these segments. Uh, Rhino, you keep it going, man. It's JT that's the Doors fan, right? That's correct. I am, too. I oh, like yeah. the Doors, I love well. the Doors, too. Yeah. We have fun with all that. All right, uh, Caleb. <laughs> yesterday, we were talking about today. I was uh, sitting in the gallery, the South Gallery yesterday. Yep. And by the way, um, right Behind me in the gallery was an executive from the Beau Rivage. Oh, wow. Observing. And uh, so we were watching the House uh, debate this mobile sports betting bill. Representative Casey Yuri mm-hmm. went to the podium to present the legislation, and there was some uh, some debate a little bit back and forth. What, what do you got for us? Yeah, you know, so, so essentially the House passed House Bill 774, which is also known as the Mississippi Mobile Sports Wagering Act. It'll allow residents of Mississippi of the legal age, obviously, to place um, mobile sports bets. So if you wanted to go on your phone outside of the four walls of a casino and bet, you know, Ole Miss is playing Auburn in basketball tomorrow. We'll discuss that later in the segment. But you wanted to bet on that game, you could do that if this is passed by the Senate and signed into law by Governor Tate Reeves. Some of the debate that came about this was um, there was a stipulation in place You know, prior to this bill being passed last year. There was a study committee that observed the manner. Uh, Casey Urey and Senator David Blunt were kind of leading the study committees alongside Jay McDaniel with the Gaming Commission. Um they they had a lot of blowback from casinos in the state because you know Mississippi has 26 brick and mortar casinos and they were the Island View specifically was like uh, this is going to hurt our revenue like yeah. this is going to prevent people from coming to our casinos this is going to hurt us so they implemented some of these I'd say stipulations in place to where like a third party operator like DraftKings FanDuel BetMGM etc will have to partner yeah. with a Mississippi casino now the casinos can only partner with one third-party operator, right. yep. but the operators like BetMGM can go to all the casinos if they want to, but 
you know, they, that casino can only operate with them. And uh, Jay McDaniel made a good point, the executive director of the Gaming Commission. He said, well, this is already going on at a lot of these casinos because they have sports books. Sure. All of them have sports books, and they already contract through a third party. So now all that third party has to do is create an app if an app doesn't already exist, and then you know, geofence it to where it goes outside the four walls of that casino but stays within the parameters of the state. And so that you know kind of solved the issues that the casinos had for the most part, but then – you had other issues raised by uh, House Minority Leader Robert Johnson, who, and I think he made a good point. He said, you know, I have, I have a small casino here in Natchez in my area, and these third-party operators, there's no incentive for them to partner with us with this small casino when they could just partner with the Beau Rivage or just the Island View or any of the, the you know, Silver Slipper, any of the big ones on the coast or in Tunica. And so he tried to adopt an amendment that would create like a 40-mile radius geofence in those smaller areas like Vicksburg and Natchez to where bets that are placed in the, with a 40-mile radius of casinos there would go to that casino. Yeah, I disagree with all that. Well, and it, didn't, it didn't pass. It didn't they, pass. They, they tabled that motion and, yep. and passed the bill regardless. I, I understand his heart's in the right place. He's wanting to look out yeah. for his constituents, no but it, it doesn't. It, no doubt. It didn't change anything. Yeah, and it didn't. But with the casino, with the third-party operator partnering with the casino, the casino collects that revenue, pays the taxes on it, etc. Right. And then there was another amendment that was adopted that Casey Yuri uh, adopted, drafted that the twelve percent tax mm-hmm. on the um, that comes from the mobile sports the wagers, revenue, yep. yeah, the revenue will go to uh, the emergency roads and bridges uh, fund in Mississippi. Well, some of it. There's a carve out for it. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. But you know, because it was the twelve percent, eight percent was supposed to go to the local That's areas, right. and then four percent to the state, I believe. Um, but now the twelve percent will go to uh, roads and bridges, right? And there was a little bit of pushback on that, and he kind of squashed Casey Uri squashed that. Was like, no, 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 this is a good thing. Like, we need a hundred million extra dollars for MDOT projects. This is going to raise a lot of money. We can we can serve to you know update our infrastructure. In a few million bucks, yeah. So I was there, and he and what he said was that amendment was inserted in response to many members who felt like that uh, they wanted to see some sort of benefit to to their districts. And so the idea was, well, if it's going to the state highway fund, essentially that that benefits the entire state. Everybody gets something there. And I talked to uh, MDOT Executive Director Brad White about a different topic, but he did mention, he's like, look, we still need money. Yeah, We still need more money. This is a small dab of money at the end of the day to MDOT relative to their total budget and what what they've stated their needs are. Yes. But every little bit helps. Yeah. Every little bit helps. No doubt. And that's something we can all kind of agree on. Everybody can agree that, you know, roads need to be updated. Bridges yeah. need to be updated. So anything that can advance that cause is good. But, you know, so now this uh, bill, though, will go to the Senate for consideration. And um, from what I've heard from, you know, people within that, that chamber, I think it's going to pass. Well, I'll say this. I, I think it will, too, ultimately. But historically, the lieutenant governor and the Senate – have not been big fans of these diversions mm-hmm. like this. That's That's been a concern in the past, and they may not have that concern uh, with respect to this particular legislation and what it establishes. Well, I know that Senator David Blunt was on with Paul Gallo last week, and he uh, said that this would be a no-brainer for Mississippi okay. if we didn't have the casinos here causing – but they've kind of – Squash those concerns for yeah. casinos, giving them yeah. a way to make the revenue. And another, I will say, backtracking a little bit, one of the uh, interesting things that could happen, too, and Jay McDaniel mentioned this, is you know these casinos offer rewards. So like if you go to the Beau Rivage, we, I use them as an example. I like the Beau Rivage or the Hard Rock. And you go frequently, you can get rewards. You can yeah. get a free hotel room or you know, a discounted meal, et cetera. 
Well, these casinos can also link your account with that specific place to your mobile sports betting account because they're all synced to the same platform. Yep. And then you can start getting rewards there so they can incentivize you. See, I, I live here in Jackson. I'm not within a 30-mile radius of a casino. But if the Beau Rivage really wanted me to come down there, they could offer me a free room, and that's attached to my mobile sports wagering account. And then that incentivizes people to go to the brick-and-mortar casino. So it kind of scratches all the backs. Right. It does. And you're right. Uh, I think once they came up with this strategy where uh, the, the gaming uh, third-party vendors mm-hmm. that, that uh, create and operate the platforms, the mobile sports betting platforms, essentially the apps, if you will, and all the, the back-end infrastructure, that they would have to establish a relationship, a business relationship, a partnership yes. with the casino. So that still revenue would flow through them. Yeah. Um, well, once once that uh, was was uh, introduced and proposed, the casinos uh, essentially acquiesced. I, yeah. I don't know if acquiesce is a fair word, but they they got on board. They announced yeah. their support for it. So, and, and you know, prior to all of this occurring yesterday, I kind of feared that this situation would end up being like the EV deal last year, where you know the dealerships were kind of you know, they didn't yeah. want there to be a direct route to right. market. You you discussed this oh, yeah. ad nauseum last year. About it. We yep. we discussed it. We wrote articles about it. Yep. And my my fear was that was going to happen. The protectionism element of the government was going to kind of exacerbate. But they found a way to work around it. And yeah. I give a lot of credit to Jay McDaniel specifically. Like he's one of the brightest minds that was working on this, kind of keeping everybody happy. You know, trying to let the high tide raise all boats instead of some ships sink. And so. Yeah, and so this this will go to the Senate, and we'll see how they react to yeah, it. We will. All right. Uh, what else we got going on? DeSanto Rollins, a uh, def- I would say former, but he's still listed on the active roster at Ole Miss defensive lineman. I mean, you can look. The active roster is up online today, and he is still on it. Well, he filed a lawsuit against the university and Lane Kiffin, yep. head coach at Ole Miss. Well, it was dismissed yesterday by a federal judge. DeSanto Rollins was seeking $40 million in punitive and compensatory uh, damages. He accused Lane Kiffin of um, kind of discriminating against him based on race and gender. He said he was going on having a mental health crisis. His grandmother had passed away that kind of elevated that. He wasn't getting the playing time he wanted. He had been moved to the scout team offensive line instead of being an active defensive lineman. A lot of things that happened. And... um, so he was basically saying that the university would treat white or female students better than they would him as a black male student. And the university obviously rebutted those claims, saying, no, we had scheduled you several meetings with our on-campus uh, sports psychologist. You didn't show up to the meetings. We tried to schedule meetings with you with the coaching staff, right? Yeah. Kiffin tried to schedule meetings with him, and he didn't show up and everything. Uh, the straw that kind of broke the camel's back that gave this national attention was he – After taking a mental health break in February of last year, he shows up late in March to a meeting with Lane Kiffin and is recording Kiffin here. It's an unverified recording, so, you know, we we know that it was him and Kiffin, but it's not been verified or authenticated by both parties. But um, and I can discuss this further in the next. Yeah, segment. we got a couple more uh, stories we want to get to as yeah. well that you guys are tracking there in the news department. We're coming right back, folks, with Caleb Saylor, who's a multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News.
This is Jerry Lake. Is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. Gladys Knight bumping us into this segment here of Middays. We're coming at you live from the Element Well Studio. We've got Caleb Sailors from Super Talk Mississippi News. Please continue the discussion with respect to uh, DeSanto Rollins and Lane Kiffin there. Huh? Real quick side note, though. You gave Gladys Knight the credit. Don't forget the pips now. Oh, the pips. Yeah, the, that's the, right. This song wouldn't have been made available without the pips. <laughs> I love Midnight Train to Georgia. So, yeah, back to DeSanto Rollins. Um, long story short, you, you guys heard everything in the last segment. Um, the audio comes out, you know, Lane Kiffin accosted him. You know, he's like, you didn't meet with us for months we or weeks. We tried to schedule meetings with you and then basically said, no, you're done. You're done. And so then DeSanto Rollins took that and accused Ole Miss of kicking him off the team. He's not kicked off the team. He's still on the active roster. The judge dismissed the suit. And attorneys for the university and that were also representing Kiffin said that any kind of mental health damages that DeSanto Rollins had we're not Kiffin's responsibility. That's not his fault. He can't control that. And also, he has a right to run his program as he deems fit. If he wants to, you can discipline players. I mean, players get punished all the time, suspended. He has a right to do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that lawsuit's dismissed. Ole Miss doesn't have to worry about that anymore. And you know, the, the legal fees and everything. But they don't have to pay the forty million dollars that Rollins was requesting. Another big story that came out of here in Central Mississippi um, in Byram. A uh, Walmart employee was fired uh, for something, and I I vehemently disagree with her being fired over this. She was filming a mother who brought her child into the store. This was in Mm mid-January. Brought her child into the store wearing nothing but a diaper. And it was 20 degrees outside. The kid, you could see the kid in the video shivering. You can go to our website, supertalk.fm. We have the video linked uh, in our article. And the kid's shivering, and, and concerned customers, the employee, were like, you know, trying to intervene and help. And the mom was accosting them, screaming, cursing, at one point shaking her rear end in somebody's direction, got in an older gentleman's face and started yelling at him using profanity, and was very, very just dismissive of anybody's claims that she was neglecting her child. At one point, she was tossing frozen foods into the child where her, or excuse me, into the grocery cart where her child was sitting. Like, on top of the child. Like, just very, very negligent behavior. Well, a customer at one point starts clothing the child in, in clothes from the store just to give the baby, you know, some sort of protection from the elements. Well, long story short, the police were called. They showed up to the scene, arrested the mother for negligence, and um, and the employee ended up getting fired because Walmart has a policy against uh, filming customers in the stores. Now we so, re- so it wasn't for coming to the assistance of the child. No, it was for filming for, in for the filming store. it and and then distributing it, right? And distributing, but the, how, film, the video. Yes, the video because yeah. the video went viral. However, yeah. the video was law enforcement even admitted this. The video was used by law enforcement hmm. to make this arrest. It was very vital in this case. Like 
the the Walmart employee actually did the child and everybody else there a favor and law enforcement a favor by filming this. I understand the company's policies. I also think there should be an exception made for a dire situation such as this one. Yeah. And yeah. the mother ended up getting arrested, and after she posted bond uh, or bail, she um went to Facebook Live and and she you know claimed that she was similar to Jesus Christ in the sense that people turn their backs on her like they did Jesus and that she was doing nothing wrong, that she takes care of her children and that no one had the right to come after her. And even in the video uh, prior to that, during the incident in the store, she was telling people, do y'all have kids? Y'all have kids? Y'all don't know what it's like. And people were like, yes, we do have kids. We don't bring them into Walmart half naked in freezing weather. And so the mother faces up to six years in jail for her crime. The child has, has is good. Paramedics came to the scene to treat the child, and the child's been uh, child protective services put the child in the uh, custody of a relative who will definitely not take that you know sweet innocent kid into Walmart dressed very scantily clad. Yeah. The um, the sad thing is is that this went viral and it occurred in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. So now the entire world has yep. seen this incident in the state of Mississippi. And, uh, you know, often, unfortunately, people that see the sort of stuff on social media tend to hold that up as an example of the remaining state. And what's even worse the is, entire state. is though it happened in Byram, the national media says Jackson. And so it's bad kind of referendum mm. on the capital city, on Jackson, yeah. who already gets enough flack for crime and everything else and, you know, infrastructure, water. You can go down the list of issues jackson has this doesn't help at all well on the positive side of this though the employee who was fired has raised a ton of money people yeah. have come to her support and and she'll definitely find a job somewhere else yeah i have yeah, no I doubt she that she'll too. find it and she might have already i don't know i need to you know go look and see uh, do an update on her but um she she'll find an occupation elsewhere it's sad that she was terminated from her position at walmart for in my opinion doing the right thing truly but a bizarre story but Walmart, they, they issued a response to us. J.T. Mitchell, our news director, reached out, and they said, no, we stand by this decision. You know, Walmart has this policy in place, and we stand by it pretty much. That's essentially what they said. Another bizarre story that happened outside of the state of Mississippi, but it involves a Mississippian, Michael Cassidy, you know, way back when, uh, he, he ran against Michael Guest for Congress and lost that seat. He also ran for a local seat in uh, the Mississippi House in District 45, lost that one as well. Well, he went to the Iowa State House and destroyed a display that was put on by the Satanic Temple. It, it had a uh, ram's head made of mirrors atop a mannequin that was dressed in red. It was a Satanic display. Well, he destroyed it and then was originally uh, charged with uh, – now he's charged with committing a hate crime, initially charged with fourth-degree criminal mischief, but um, – He's raised a ton of money. Yes, he has. Over a, last I checked, over a hundred thousand dollars he's raised for legal defense fees, you know, to cover all his legal costs. But the Satanic Temple, the individuals that were manning the display, said they had it up there for a freedom of religion display, right? And it was some sort of art event going on at the state house celebrating freedom of religion. And Michael Cassidy decided, nope, not not that religion. I'm not a fan of that one. And look. Gerard, I, I'm an outspoken Christian. I don't hide my faith from anybody. I'm I'm not a fan of Satan or satanic displays, but that doesn't grant you the right to go destroy and defame public property or property that's on a uh, that's in public that's on public display. Yeah. And so, I you know we we both probably have our own opinion on how this um why the motive Michael Cassidy did this. It's probably to get more attention to himself. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't believe that this should be considered a hate crime, no. honestly. I mean, just plain old civil destruction of property, I I, I don't condone that no matter what the yeah, property no. is. And I, and I guess there's there's also a hypocritical element to this as well when, you know, the last couple of years, especially in the wake of the George Floyd incident, we've had numerous perpetrators and numerous incidents of defacing and damaging statues, yeah. including including those of the founders of this nation mm-hmm. and just other historical figures, and those aren't considered hate crimes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, heck, we can't even get proper, plain old property destruction charges against those folks. They're, they're, they're considered heroes because, you know, they decapitated George Washington at a statue somewhere. So the, the double standard is sickening, in my view. Uh, I don't want to see people going out and destroying any property, no, no matter what it is. But this isn't a hate crime. And I, I look, I, I, I'm obviously on the news side of things, so I refrain from posting my opinion in our articles or yeah. our, our online or social media content. But personally, I, I'm with you, Gerard, here. But, in, you know, the outrage would be even more elevated if someone had gone and torn down a cross yeah. that was on display at this place. So I don't think anybody should be defacing or tearing down anybody's property, but I agree. I don't think that the motive behind it was hate, it's per not se. A hate crime. No, I think the motive was, I want attention, and this is an easy way to get attention. I mean, the sad thing is, that's people who believe that that uh, it's abhorrent to hate Satan. Yeah. I mean, so that's kind of sad that we even have that in this country, in my opinion, but I do support their right. If yeah. they want to worship Satan... I absolutely support their right yeah, to do yeah, so. Yeah, the First Amendment protects that. You have the right to freedom of religion, and it doesn't matter what religion that is. And obviously, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a proponent of Satan or Satanism. But if someone else wants to do that, that's that's between I like to say that's between them and God, or them and Satan. Yeah, but the FBI can go collect mountains of, of data on uh, on pro life Catholics, right? With, with impunity. So it's just such a ridiculous double standard, I think, that we're seeing in our country. And that that's disturbing, I guess, on the surface. Well, and this incident has raised a debate about that, too. And hopefully that elevates to, like, okay, are we going to have a unilateral basis by which we treat these incidents, or yeah. are we going to continue being lopsided? I know, I know this break's going to, excuse me, this segment's going to end soon, so I would be remiss if I didn't discuss college basketball right now, because yeah. we had a huge game in Oxford on Tuesday. 10,630 people in attendance in the uh, Sandy John Black Pavilion, which holds 9,500 people. Yeah. So you had people in the standing room mezzanine areas, kind of like Zacchaeus in the scripture looking over to see <laughs> Ole Miss beats Mississippi State. The Rebels play Auburn tomorrow. Mississippi State plays Alabama tomorrow, trying to bounce back. Huge basketball games. I'll be covering the Ole Miss game, so keep up with our content at supertalk.fm. So it's Mississippi versus Alabama tomorrow. tomorrow that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, go Mississippi. Dang that's it. right. All right. Appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Gerard. I appreciate it. We're coming right back. Final segment of the second hour of Middays is next. And then we've got a break at the noon hour. And then it's Commissioner Andy Gibson in the Element Well Studio. with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
We're back. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio. So Rhino and I, the other day, we, we forgot to talk about this. About three days, three or four days ago, I guess. Yeah, right around that time. Rather shocking report that uh, some uh, some explorers have identified, they believe, the crash of Amelia Earhart's aircraft under the sea there, right? Yeah, there was uh, data they were looking at from a deep-sea drone using sonar that appears to have discovered the wreckage of Amelia Earhart's plane about 100 miles off the coast of an island that she planned to use as a refueling stop on her attempt to fly across the ocean. Man. When did that occur? We looked it up in the 30s, I 37, believe. 37, I want to say. Yeah. Golly. That's something. Really something. Well, we'll see. Uh, because, I mean, there, there have been reports for decades now of, well, did she make it to this island? Or did she land yeah. on this island? Or... What about these bones that were discovered on this island? And there have been theories as to what happened, why she didn't make it. Was it a miscalculation? Did something go wrong with the plane? And now if they have discovered the wreckage, it's been on the bottom of the ocean for 90 years now. But there is a chance they could do some diagnostics and some forensics. And if it was say, a malfunction with the plane's engine, that might still be evident and answer some questions as to why she didn't complete the trip. It's, fa- it's fascinating, honestly. Yeah, because we really don't know at this point. The explorer that I saw that was t- getting a lot of credit for it is a guy named Tony Romeo. Hmm. And the way he put it puts it best that Amelia Earhart really is one of, if not the most famous missing person from America. I'll be darned. Hmm. So haven't there been, uh, I guess you could call it theory slash folklore through the years, that it's a part of the Bermuda Triangle phenomenon? Is that not related to this as well? Kind of, but she was she crashed trying, trying to cross the Pacific in the Bermuda Triangles over okay, in the Atlantic. Okay, my bad. So, but, there, I mean, the, the mystery surrounding the Bermuda Triangle is really just a, a collection and coalition of all of the the mysteries and insecurities that have plagued sailors and anybody that challenged the sea for eons. Yeah. I mean, you think back in history, the explorers were leaving dry land on wooden ships that, compared to modern ships, are tiny mm-hmm. in comparison. And they were just trekking out into the unknown. Now, you get into some debate between historians as to how much of the world we knew about at that time, because there are some maps that seem to have <laughs> land masses where North and South America would be, but you, a lot of people grew up learning about Christopher Columbus just trying to go west to get to the Indies, yeah. and there was no knowledge of the continent of the continents of North and South America at the time. Yeah, But whether or not you get into the debate of did we know there was a continent there or not, it still, it took a lot of gumption to go out and explore in that day and age. And it feels like Amelia Earhart was one of the last members of of that kind of team of explorers that lasted for several generations that were mapping the world. Because at that point in time, we didn't have 
planes that could just keep traveling. We didn't have satellites that could just take super high-res imaging. We didn't have a full map of the world. That's true. Nor did we have the instruments on board aircraft uh, to guide as well. Like Certainly not anything like we did today or anything we had even 20, 30 years later. Um, but the Bermuda Triangle, though, I mean, it, it is thought to have uh, been the cause, whatever the theory is about it. Uh, Anything to, to from aliens to airplane crashes, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, there's been, haven't there been maybe some commercial aircraft that have gone down over the Triangle? I'm, I may. I want to say there was, that. I don't know if it was commercial <laughs> or if it was chartered, but there was a flight, I want to say. In the early days of commercial air travel, that did have problems over the Bermuda Triangle. I don't remember if they crashed. Okay, okay, that makes sense. But shipwrecks, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about Columbus again, there there are reports, if I remember correctly, in his logbook, in his daily diary, of encountering sarcasm, not sarcasm, but sargasm with a G, if I'm not mistaken. Which that is. That's like an overgrowth of seaweed. So imagine you're on open water, and then all of a sudden you're not, and it's because there's stuff growing from the bottom of the ocean. I got that you. Clogs up your route. Well, it's uh, it's kind of fun because, as you said, it's it's sort of a mystery, and there's there's just a lot of unknown. I mean, we can't explain a lot of the what happened, the incidents that have occurred in that area. A lot of people, I think, are still under the impression that. Commercial aircraft today avoid flying over the Bermuda Triangle. That's not true. They absolutely do not. But there, there is, um, I guess, kind of a, a wild theory that uh, rumor, whatever you want to call it, that there is. We're stepping aside for a break. Fox News, Super Talk News. When we come back, it's Commissioner Andy Gibson in the Element Well Studio. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. The afternoon portion of Middays is live with you now from the Element Wealth Studio on this Friday, y'all. We welcome to the program the Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, Commissioner Andy Gibson. Thanks for coming in, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Good afternoon, and I look forward to visiting a little while. Yes, sir. So, uh, I'll tell you, I drove down uh, downtown, passed by the... Uh, the the fair complex there, the fairgrounds, mm-hmm. the, the ag center, and so forth, en route to the capital. Noticed yeah. a lot of activity going on, signage, et cetera, vehicles. That's because we got the Dixie National in town, right? We we do, and uh, it's been in town. It's been building up over the last couple of weeks, and now we've kicked off the Dixie National Livestock Show, which is how the rodeo actually began. There was a livestock show first, bringing all of our young people from across Mississippi, showing their hogs and cows. There's a hog show today. And cattle and uh, sheep and goats and uh, and then we've added uh, rabbits and chickens for kids in the suburbs hmm. and that's to try to expand young young people's <laughs> involvement. Awesome. They learn the same skills no matter what animal their their project that, that they're involved in. And uh, we'll have these shows all the way through the weekend and through next week and next Thursday at uh, eleven o'clock. We will kick off the sale of junior champions, right? Which uh, is the, the the best of the best in the market categories and our young people who win scholarships 
We gave out over half a million dollars worth of uh, scholarships and prizes last year. So we're we're setting a new record, and we hope to set another one this year. So we we support our young people. I've been telling folks for years now. If you're concerned about workforce development, if you're concerned about brain drain, Mississippi's 4-H and FFA programs just like this are the, the the best youth development program in the state, and it's already here. So we just need to show our support for our young people. And uh, if you get a chance to come by and see them, we invite you to do that. There's no charge to attend these livestock shows. Yeah, and I, they're great. And uh, wow, do those uh, those youngsters work awfully hard? They do uh, when they get there. And uh, I know they raised a lot of money last year. Of course, middays was was on hand. We yep. broadcast a show remotely from uh, the beautiful Mississippi Trademark. We yep. are scheduled to be there again next okay. Thursday for the to, event. We uh, look forward to that. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you. You know, a lot of people may not realize they actually begin raising these animals way back in the in the summer uh, or before that, and so they raised them all year, cared for them. And then this is kind of the the, the pinnacle of that uh, process, and it's a yearly process. And we've seen so many young people grow up, and they're becoming our future leaders in every industry, not just agriculture. But obviously, farm kids know how to work and know how to get things done. And so we need to continue to cultivate that and grow this program into the future. And it's it's good that they they have this setting, uh, this event. Uh, to be recognized that's right. uh, for their efforts, and yeah, that just motivates it. them to keep doing more. They deserve it. That's yeah, right. that's awesome. So Dixie National, uh, I know, Commissioner, you've talked about it before. It is uh, a, a huge generator of economic activity and economic benefit, yeah. not only for, for the downtown Jackson area around the facilities, but really all of central Mississippi and perhaps throughout the entire state. It's a it's a tremendous economic uh, driver. We, we have some data on that from uh, the Visit Jackson folks and just looking at the rodeo itself, which begins February 9th. That's next Friday okay. through the 17th. And get your tickets. They're going fast. Uh, and I, I do recommend folks buy them at the box office, but if you have to, go on Ticketmaster and do that. They're available there. But just in terms of uh, the estimated economic impact of people who are coming to this event just during the rodeo, not counting the livestock shows for hotel hotels, uh, lodging, transportation, food and beverage, well over uh, $7 million here. And uh, that's just for those few days of people visiting this event. You, If you were to uh, multiply that over the month-long event that is the Dixie National Livestock Show and Rodeo, it's a $20 million economic impact with all the different shows. We've got a quarter horse show that comes, and they do a great job and attract a lot of people. Not to mention the open shows, which tr- bring people from all over the country. We had 48 states represented uh, of visitors to the Dixie National last year. 48. 40, right. all, the, all lower 48 states. Bringing yeah. livestock to compete because we've become a national show. And then the rodeo itself, uh, one of my goals when I became commissioner was to uh, take the rodeo to the next level and uh, met with the promoters, the, the owners of the rodeo company, and we set a goal, and we, we met that goal. And it continues to be the number one rodeo east of the Mississippi River, the largest rodeo east of the Mississippi River right here in Mississippi. And uh, just signed a contract to extend that. We're excited about it, and we, we look forward to continuing to grow this great uh, agricultural event and the economic impact in a positive way for the people of Mississippi. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's pivot a bit here and find out uh, what 
you're uh, talking to the legislature about any any bills that you're tracking, any needs that you have that you have shared with uh, some folks in the legislature. You know, at this point, we're just having the basic budget discussions. We uh, every year we have uh, uh, these budget hearings. We had our House hearing. We have a Senate hearing next week, and we talk about uh, our budget and, and what it costs. And frankly, it costs a lot more to operate today than it did two or three years ago, thanks to Bidenomics, and everybody mm-hmm. knows that. So we we have some you know tight areas in our budget the good news is uh the department of agriculture operates on two-thirds what's called special funds these are revenues we raise ourselves instead of uh, just general taxpayer funds we have about a third general funds almost all of that goes to pay our folks salary and then the balance of our operations we raise ourselves through having these events and other programs so we are proud of that and uh, we we, with our some improvements we need to make, some basic uh, housekeeping on the fairgrounds and all the facilities, the Ag Museum that we keep up, and we have an office uh, on the campus of Mississippi State. We're, we're proud of that. One at Alcorn, and, uh, of course, our headquarters building here in Jackson. So a lot of, you know, it costs money to fix stuff and keep stuff operational, and we're, we're looking at that. And we do hope to uh, have some exciting programs to expand uh, opportunities for Mississippi agriculture in, in the days ahead. So speaking of uh, expanding and, and cost and investments and so forth, the Mississippi Trademark, which uh, I think uh, you're, you're obviously was a, were a huge champion uh, for, mm-hmm. and 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 that thing is, uh, I tell you, Commissioner, such an improvement over what we it had. Is. And, the, and the old facility was fine in its day. Yeah. It, it had just gotten to the point where we needed to, to upgrade and modernize. And, of course, uh, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith gets the uh, credit for fighting for that uh, project. And then we had the privilege of, of building it, actually, when I became commissioner. And uh, we persevered and built it during the COVID-19 so-called yeah. shutdown, got it done. And, and it is rented almost every day, multiple events every day. And yeah. it is a, a revenue generator. And it's serving the people of Mississippi well. So we're proud of that. And we've got a great team there. Director Michael Lassiter on the fairgrounds and his staff uh, do a great job managing those projects. And, uh, you know, we've we, we seen no shortage. In fact, we've gotten to the point we have to turn folks away. There's so many people wanting to come mm-hmm. to that new trademark. Uh, we wish we had a little bigger facility to operate out of, but we don't have the room. We're on 105 acres. Uh, we uh, the legislature approved the uh, acquisition of about ten acres along fifty five for possible development. That's something that we're working on toward the future. We want to work with our legislators on on that concept, and uh, you know some really positive things in the works. And uh, we'll we'll work with them, and uh, we'll get the job done. And a dedicated water supply as well. Uh, well, yeah, we had to do that. If we didn't drill that well, we would have had to end the Dixie National. And think about the economic, uh, negative economic mm-hmm. impact that would have been. We got it done. We have reliable water. Uh, in fact, we were able to continue operations even during the recent Jackson water crisis that happened two weeks ago. We had yeah. livestock shows happening, and we were able to keep going. Okay. And uh, because of that, you know, we, we just don't miss a lick. And we uh, we keep going, and that's my motto: keep on keeping on. <laughs> what about the creation of the Capital Complex Improvement District, which was enacted in the in the uh, legislative session last year? Have you seen some positive benefits? Absolutely, that? I I commend the legislature. I've, I've told everyone that's asked me about it. Uh, it has made a difference having these Capitol Police. They are doing the work of patrolling. Just having a law enforcement presence no ar- around uh, has a deterrent effect on the uh, the uh, uh, those who would commit crimes. And uh, we have, you know, we have obviously we, we have security on the fairgrounds, but we partner very closely not only with Capitol Police and Chief Lucky, but also with the Department of Public Safety. 
uh, and Commissioner Sean Tindall. So we we brought in DPS and their team uh, as, as really a key partner in keeping the fairgrounds safe, and we've had a lot of positive response to that. Uh, I've heard nothing negative yeah. at this point. Everything I've heard has been positive, and I and I will um, back up what you said as well. That anytime I'm in the area. I see those vehicles with the lights on. Sometimes they're just parked, but you're so right. Yeah. Just that presence serves as a very strong, powerful deterrent. Yeah. You hate to you hate to have to have that. I agree. But we're in Jackson, Mississippi, and we have to do it. It it, it, it eats into our operational revenues. We think we're spending nearly a million dollars a year uh, out of those operations just to have that presence of security on the fairgrounds. But it, if that's what we have to do to keep people safe and keep having events, we'll do it. And yeah. uh, We'll, uh, you know, like I told them back then, you don't. If you're a, if you're a criminal, you don't want to find yourself on the fairgrounds. It's not the place you want to be. <laughs> That's a great located. Yeah. That is a very good, powerful message. No doubt about that. Well, uh, thanks for all your uh, service and efforts, and your team as well, Commissioner. We look forward to another successful Dixie National Rodeo, yeah. and we're going to be at the sale of champions next Thursday. Well, look forward to that. See you there, y'all. Get your tickets, and thank you for supporting the greatest show on dirt. There you go. Commissioner Andy Gibson has been our guest. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Wesley Finance. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with hit songwriter Clay Mills, who has written number one hits for the likes of Diamond Rio, Darius Rucker, Trish Yearwood, and others. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish and homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to superiorcatfish.com. For more info, the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. And on it, George from Madison County shares... Forty to fifty years ago, Hines County made a deal with a manufacturing company in the Raymond area. They now employ hundreds. They have expanded four times over the years. Great community supporters. My service business has been working in their factories for years. Small businesses make a living on these big county-state projects. Some people should have taken an economics class in high school or college! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Love your show, George from Madison County. Thank you for sharing that, George. And and. And that is 
Um, the same scenario I hear over and over again from small business owners that uh, find business, secure business from these large uh, implementations, these large projects, these large factories, distributors, whatever the, the operation is, just because of their scale. They just have so many needs. And it touches so many different businesses. Same thing. I agree. And that's the, the outgrowth portion, I guess, Rhino, that I'm talking about that folks don't consider. You know, the consideration is always how much is the company going to spend on the individual project? How many people are they going to hire? And that's fair. That's valid. And, and the state's incentive package is based solely on that. What doesn't get considered in that equation is all the byproduct spinoff outgrowth, as I like to call it, business and economic activity that occurs as a result. You think about having 2,000, 2,500 workers in Madison County the next three or four years uh, constructing the Amazon facilities and the Entergy power plant, they're going to spend money somewhere. They're going to eat somewhere and sleep somewhere and and uh, just live in general. So a, a lot of folks are going to benefit from that, that, that sell products and services. And then once it gets built, Amazon will hire employees to do the the jobs they feel are necessary within the, their company to provide the services that they've said they're going to provide. Yep. But they're not likely to hire a landscaping crew That's right. or a janitorial staff or HVAC maintenance people. I mean, there are all kinds of jobs and opportunities that will come about once it's completed because... Amazon will need the workers to do it. Well, to George's point, um, which is is uh, well articulated, you could look at any major economic development project like that in the state. Anywhere where you have this sort of critical mass like that, you're so right. There are just lots of third-party vendors to uh, the, that that large implementation, that large organization, like you said, HVAC, even though they're likely to have a large staff of HVAC techs and, and, and electricians, it won't be enough. Right. There will always be needs where they'll have to call on third parties, outsiders, to come augment and supplement. Guarantee it. It'll happen. And uh, and so we, we have to – and you can't put a price tag on that. That's really hard to quantify. But it's – it's pretty logical, if you think about it, that that's what's going to happen. So, And I think George was uh, offering his comment here because we were talking about so many of the contrarians and and uh, the, the pessimists and those who have, have just been uh, more focused on condemning and criticizing and, I guess, just spewing all the negative associated with this project and not seeing any of the positive. It's like they got the old classic accounting T account and everything's on one side. <laughs> They're not seeing the other side. It's a balance sheet that's only got liabilities on it. They don't see any assets. That's just not real world. It's not, it's not rooted in fact or reality. So uh, I couldn't be more excited. And i I got to tell you, I couldn't be more proud of uh, the state of Mississippi and the, and the team effort that occurred here uh, to, uh, to win uh, both of these huge projects. I understand that uh, one of the key Amazon execs, in, execs involved in site selection, this project, uh, addressed uh, some folks at a lunch. I heard this uh, yesterday, and he was just absolutely heaping on the praise 
on the state of Mississippi. Now, this, this is somebody who's dealt with numerous states uh, for these kinds of projects, but uh, he, he specifically touted uh, the state of Mississippi's uh, performance here. And, and let's be honest, this is just good old-fashioned bare-knuckle customer service. You're, you need to provide high-quality customer service it, when you look at an economic development project like this, the company essentially, before they've spent a dime, they are a prospective customer. It's at least tantamount to that. So, you know, you win deals from competitors when a customer has a choice to a great extent because of the quality of the service you provide during the sales process. That means being attentive, being responsive, being honest, satisfying their, their questions, their needs, their their quest for information, stuff they got to have to to get the deal done on their side. So no doubt that comes into play, and he highlighted that in his remarks. And, and I'll say this, I, I had a brief conversation with him last week when we had a little get-together to celebrate the announcement. Heard the same thing. So all that just bodes well. And that will, you know what, is is a kind of a rule of thumb often gets talked about rhino is that w- when you pr- produce a, a positive customer experience that person may tell 10 or 20 people when you produce a negative one they tell 250 it's kind of like what we're talking about here good news here is um, the the news is good with respect to mississippi's performance that is getting noticed by other major players that are now turning their eyes to the state of Mississippi. What are they doing down there? If Amazon is going to invest this sort of money, maybe this would be a good place for us. promise you that's what happens. Just like it does in, in business, when you take care of your customers, word gets around, and, and if you ask them, well, gee, what brought us uh, you to us today? They'll say, well, I heard you did a really good job for somebody else. Somebody they just know anecdotes. Countless examples of it. I mean, you can look in in the consumer side of it. We were talking about Apple earlier. Apple comes out with the iPod. How many MP3 players came out after that? That's true. How many copycats came out after that? <laughs> or look so at true. Hollywood. When one Hollywood studio gets word that another competing or competitor Hollywood studio is making a movie about, you go back to what was it, the nineties where you had Armageddon and Deep Impact. Two movies about apocalyptic scenarios where something was crashing into us from space. It's competitors. Right. Copycats. Right. You're going to have interest in what your competitors are doing because you never know. They might have a step on you, and you need to keep up with them. Yeah. So true. Uh, You know, it was – remember, it was Sony that uh, had the technology for digital music uh, and kind of – could have owned that market, and, and Apple sort of one-upped them and leapfrogged them and essentially took it away from them. They made some there, – there's some, some great uh, historical accounts, uh, bad business decisions that company made and, and essentially ceded that market, if you will, to Apple. It could have owned it. Um, and I can't remember specifically what decisions they made that – Well, part of it was spending so much time and money and investment in the mini-disc. They, they really thought that was going to take off, and 
it, it just didn't have the adoption. Well, they didn't foresee the, uh, the the bandwidth, the improvements in bandwidth and connectivity, and 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 at the same time, we're increasing capacity, we're driving costs down. They didn't they didn't foresee that. They didn't think that, for example, the 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 mobile network that all the carriers have built out would have that kind of capacity, so that you could actually connect to the internet and play music on your mobile device. And the concept of digital music was still in its infancy when Napster came along. That's true. And Napster completely changed the game with peer-to-peer file sharing. True. Where you no longer had to own a CD, own software to rip the CD into a digital format to then put it on your digital music player. Right. You could just download it from somebody else that already had Absolutely. it. I, I, yeah, I remember that myself those days, but now that's kind of gone. So now... How many dang companies are in the digital music streaming service or oh, yeah. subscription service, right? It's a big part of Apple's business and revenue. Some have risen and fallen. Some of them just keep on growing. Man, things great. Mo says, come on, Rhino. Everyone who has watched the Star Trek Voyager knows what happened to Amelia Earhart. <laughs> oh, yeah, v- Viger. Isn't that what it was when they were – you're talking about uh, – the movies, right, most the Star no, Trek? Voyager. It was a series. Oh, oh, my bad. Well, I remember the the V'ger, the Star Trek full featured movies. Oh yeah. That, uh, but that was discovering that on a planet, right, Mars or something like that. All right, we're coming right back with half an hour on middays. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, so you were just telling me the story there. I, what I was thinking he was talking about was the full-featured Star Trek. I want to say it was the very first one, where it was kind of a mystery until the end when they were trying to like uncover what was labeled on this this spaceship. Yeah, this cloud of destruction coming towards Earth. Yeah, and it was an advanced civilization that had found the Voyager probe. Yeah. And was looking for its origin. And they called it V'ger. They kept calling it V'ger, V'ger. Yeah. And then it's oh, it's Voyager, which was from our time period. And, and of course, the movie took place many, many decades after that. Yeah, because that yeah. was the original. That was Star Trek, the motion picture. Okay. And if you follow the rules of Star Trek movies, it's an odd number, so it's not a very good movie. I got you. <laughs> number two's good. Four's pretty good. Okay. One's not that good. Three's not that good. Right. But it was Bill Moak. Bill Moak actually texted me to, to refresh my memory. I, I I remember Amelia Earhart appearing in Voyager, but it's been years since I've seen that episode. But apparently that episode, there were people abducted from Earth in 1937, and there's a whole civilization, a society of their descendants all the way across the galaxy. And Amelia Earhart is there in cryostasis. That's right. And that's what I remember. They, like 
come marching out or something? Don't they, like, show images of the figures of these people who were abducted and, and uh, ostensibly taken by aliens, <laughs> some sort of alien civilization and beings took them in? Yeah. Kind of cool. William and Brandon says, right this minute, there's a miserable negative hater thinking of a tweet to tag you in. How dare you be so upbeat about Mississippi? Uh, that's probably right. They're probably listening, and they're sitting around on the keyboard drafting something right now. That's perfectly fine. You're not changing my mind. I mean, nobody can. Thomas has been trying to all morning, as you've been observing. He's still, uh, I would say, pretty aggrieved about uh, these projects and it doesn't really understand economics or um, internal rate of return or ROI or discounted cash flow models, which is what's required here, Thomas, to do this. You see, I'm going to explain again. We're going to we're going to provide you up front a dollar. You're going to give us a thousand back. If you only give us five hundred, okay, we're going to give you fifty. You're, we're going to claw back fifty cents. That's the way this project works. Now, I know if it were up to you, you would say the state of Mississippi should not join the other 49 states. We should just isolate ourselves, ostracize ourselves, and just not participate. And that would mean we get zero dollars of investment. And you'd be fine with that because you take your high ground and say, by God, I, I stood on, on my philosophy here. Except we'd be broke and we'd be crashing. And that's what would happen. That's just the reality. I don't like it either. And this is what's crazy that folks need to understand. And I can say this uh, without violating any NDAs that I've signed. But I've seen it. Some of the stuff that we've seen other states throw at some projects we've lost is unbelievable. And we just said no. Now, I want people to know that. MDA, the governor, state of Mississippi... In, in in my personal case, just working on the Makita board when we work to craft a package, and we find out, gee, Georgia's offering this, South Carolina's offering this, a Kentucky. We lost one in Kentucky, as I recall. It was incredible what they were offering. I mean, considerably more uh, greater incentives than we were willing to do. It's like, man, that doesn't make any sense. I, we couldn't make the uh, the economic model really. Uh, viable for for the taxpayers and for the citizens. I don't feel this way about these two projects. I've I've seen uh, the statements, the source and use of funds, financials, totally different. And so I'm proud of the state of Mississippi. So that's something Thomas doesn't know. We have in fact stood our ground and said, okay, we're out. That's not worth it for us. You guys want it that bad? You're you're willing to concede that much financially? It's yours. No different than business decisions I've made in my career where we said, we're not playing. That's just too rich for us. They must want it so bad. Uh, but you know what? You don't want to burn bridges. You never, ever, ever know, man. You just don't. You, you get mad. I know. It's it's a natural reaction. You work your rear off. You put your best deal forward, and, and, and it's not accepted. And uh, you come in second place, which is the same as last, of course. So I'm proud of the state of Mississippi uh, for standing its ground and for negotiating not only reasonable contracts here, but no doubt in my mind, uh, agreements that at the end of the day will be extremely beneficial to the good people of the state of Mississippi. 
So again, when the other 49 states discontinue, and your your nonsense, Thomas, about well, uh, the uh, uh, the analogy used that oh well, it's like teaching your kids it's okay to do something bad because others are doing it. Well, that's because you think this is bad. The rest of us don't. That's completely different and an invalid comparison, in my view. So this is this is something that's good. It's just. How far do you want to go, honestly? And so the state of Mississippi, in this case, I think uh, made thoughtful, prudent financial decisions. And again, I, I can't point it out enough, the state's protected. The state's protected. Now, you may say well, there's no guarantee that uh, they could honor those clawbacks. Well, there's a much higher probability and in, in, uh, much lower risk that a company that does $600 billion a year in revenue and has a market cap of $3 trillion is going to be in a lot better shape to uh, deal with a clawback, to pay a clawback, should they ever get to that point, which I don't think they will. It's absolutely less than petty cash to them. I can tell you something else that a lot of people don't know, Rhino. They'd already spent, by the way, before the whole package was, was uh, approved, They'd already spent a bunch of money. Already spent a bunch of money. And you know what their feeling was? Hey, there is so much opportunity for us to get this thing built so we can start delivering services and producing revenue. We're willing to take the risk right now, not even knowing if we have a deal. And if it falls apart, oh, well, we just spent several tens of millions of dollars. Let's write it off. Next. I mean, that's the kind of money we're dealing with here that folks can't seem to appreciate. That's how business works. But they were fairly confident that we were going to work this out. There, were, there weren't any sticking points that were so severe and where the, the gap between uh, what they were looking for and what we could do was so large that we couldn't resolve that and work it out. And they, they've done this enough to know when they're at that point. So... Um, I get it. You know, I understand you wish the government didn't have to get involved whatsoever, but uh, it is what it is, and I'm, I'm proud of uh, how we played here. I'm proud of the, of the deal and the way it was structured, and I'm absolutely convinced that, um, that this project in particular from Amazon Web Services, and I, I'm not certainly trying to downplay the value of the recent announcement in Marshall County. That's huge. This deal here is transformational, and it will – provide more benefit to the state of Mississippi than any bill or law we could ever pass down at that capital. No doubt about it. This is the private sector at its best in all of its splendor. I mean, absolutely showing out here. And it's uh, it's exciting. I think it's just fantastic. Let's see what else we got. Uh, Arlen... And uh, Wayne County says, Commissioner Gibson, please work to bring back the Dixie National Rodeo Band that we had under Jim Buck Ross. It was a big addition to the rodeo atmosphere. I'll see if I can pass that on, along, uh, Arlen, when we uh, remind me of that when we're down at the trademark la- next week for the uh, sale of champions. See if we can't see where what's going on there. Uh, conspiracy was why our plane was shot down, talking about. Amelia Earhart? I don't know. Is there is that one of the theories? I want to say that was a theory put forward by 
I don't know if it was the History Channel or it was somebody on a show on the History Channel that perhaps her plane was shot down. Okay. Outside design here on the ceasefire text line says, wouldn't Satan be happy about the destruction of property? Well, that's one way to look at it. Uh, it's just against the law. Uh, so, I mean, we have to be consistent. Now, again, I'm not for it being categorized as a hate crime, honestly. I um, mean, if we're going to call decapitating Satan a hate crime, then we've certainly got to call all the destruction that's been wielded on the statues of our founders and other important historical figures in this nation over the last three years. we got to categorize those as hate crimes as well. In my view, to be consistent, I don't think either should be. It's just property destruction, and you ought to pay the price for that. I don't care who you are. Shouldn't shouldn't destroy somebody else's stuff no more than they ought to be able to to uh, destroy yours. Well, we are going to come back on middays with a final segment. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can climb. Okay, the Sonny and Cher show is back with you. <laughs> Rise and shine, campers. Don't forget your booties. <laughs> I had to do it one more time for Groundhog Day. You want to tell the folks about this Taylor Swift and a cash gift contest we got going on right now? You got something on that? I got it in front of me. Uh, The biggest name in entertainment right now, Taylor Swift. We're giving you a chance to win tickets to see her in concert, plus money in your pocket. Margaritaville Resort and Paradise Pier Fun Park in Biloxi, along with Super Top Mississippi, present Taylor Swift and a cash gift. Here's what you get. A pair of tickets to see Taylor Swift's Eras tour at the Superdome in New Orleans on Saturday, October 26th, plus a thousand bucks. Here's what you got to do: enter your name and contact info at one of our registration boxes at select locations across the state. Go to supertalk.fm/slash/taylor swift to find the full list of registration locations and more info. Dan in Hattiesburg on the ceasefire text line. So when Apple sells their stuff and makes a huge profit, why is nothing said about it by the Democrats? A great point, Dan, something we brought up on the program many times. Well, because they, they don't happen to operate in an industry that Biden and the Democrats loathe. They, they're cool with Apple. That's okay. Oh, they're going to make $136 billion? This year, they're fine. Um, Exxon makes 30, and they're the demons. They're the villains. They're just uh, the bane of society. Meanwhile, Exxon's workers get paid handsomely while the people making the iPhones Very and true. the iMacs and the iPods, um, well, they don't get paid quite as well. That's true. That's absolutely true. Much of that occurs, as you know, in China, where they manufacture a lot of those products. Where they have to have nets between floors to keep the workers from jumping. I've heard that as well. I've never seen any photos, but I've, I've uh, seen reports about that. But it's a good point. I'll say it with my dying breath, Ayn Rand. 
should be required reading for everyone, but especially economics majors. No doubt about it. Let's see here. Jerry in Waynesboro. This is how unshook I'm going to be about anything in 2024. So they sent a photo of uh, what looks like some sort of individual that is shirtless, maybe has a little wrap just below the breast line that's got a snake wrapped around their head that's uh, got a big chunk of cheek in their mouth, what it looks like to me. Okay. Um so uh, so Thomas, uh, you're obsessed with Medicaid expansion. You've offered no solution to the problem, and I guess you're fine. And look, this is not a, a statement in support of Medicaid expansion, though I understand, Thomas, you've told people I do, and I've never said that on this program. And I challenge you to find any situation where I've ever said that. But to you, just not coming out and saying we shouldn't even consider it, though I asked you earlier what about the Medicaid expansion that uh, we just approved a few months ago. That did not expand the coverage group, but expanded the money. Same deal. $750 million pulling down from the federal government. And again, if you really cared about all that stuff, you'd go down to the Capitol. You'd demand we exit Medicaid. You'd demand, you should have been out there protesting the, uh, the governor for uh, requesting these reforms of CMS to increase the payment situation, increase the payment amounts into base Medicaid, in which the state participates now. But why don't you go down there right now and say, we got to exit Medicaid, got to exit. Be sure and tell all those hospitals, too, because they're still going to be providing the services, they just don't get paid for it. And if you really want to be technical about it, Medicaid's not welfare directly, it's not, to the folks enrolled in it. It's payments to the providers for serving the patients. So that you could argue that doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals and clinics and hospitals, etc., they are the welfare recipients. You can certainly make a case for that. There's not checks that go directly to those people. And I have suggested a number of alternatives to Medicaid expansion as a way to just get the hospitals reimbursed. Because right now we're paying for it in our premiums. We're paying for the uninsured. I know you may not think so, but I promise you, when they're putting their business and their budgets and their economic models together, they're considering, okay, how much cost are we going to incur in the way of free, unreimbursed service? They build that into their model, and then they figure out from those of us who pay private, who pay for private insurance, how much they got to get from us to cover those who don't pay. It's it's not direct welfare from the government. It's kind of an indirect approach to it. That's how it works. Same thing with the ACA. So it's amazing to me that even those that are hell-bent on on not expanding Medicaid support the ACA. What's the difference? Still welfare. Still expanding welfare. Even the most staunch proponents... I should say opponents of Medicaid expansion. And I included that in my article as an option as well. I'm I'm all for it. We should be exploring that in lieu of expanding Medicaid. Cost the state nothing. We're out of here today. We thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and God bless.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.